Recently, I had the pleasure of talking with Martin Bilheimer, author of a new book about a dark chapter of Chicago's history that the Chicago Tribune writer Rick Kogan called one of the most revelatory, provocative, frightening books I've ever read about Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. like to watch an extended version of this interview online, search for Chicago History Podcast on the YouTubes, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss upcoming content. Martin Bilheimer, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, well, that's that's very nice of you to say. Uh, you know, an honor uh, to me was, was reading your book, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. It is called Mother Chicago, Truant Dreams and Specters Over the Gilded Age. Uh, first, I want to go into a little bit of your uh, backstory, if we may. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your connection to Chicago, where you grew up, all of that exciting stuff. Yeah, uh, I was born in Uptown in 1970, um, and uh, my p- parents were involved in, in uh, politics. Then, by true politics, I mean uh, radical politics, street politics. They were. Uh, uh worked on the rainbow coalition and the poor people's campaign during that time um with organizations like the uh young patriot party things like that and the black panthers um so that was the milieu in which i was born um i spent the next period of my life in the north of england a very industrial area my parents moved there just on a whim that was very common during that time. And then I moved back to Albany Park in ooh, about 1981, something like that, just at the dawn of the Reagan-Satcher era. And I've been here ever since. I've lived in Logan Square, various uh, places around Chicago. I have a copy of your bio, and it says, uh, well, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that I thought was interesting. Um it says you founded the semi-notorious noise punk band Devil Bell Hippies in 1983. You were all of 13 years old at the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. I was. I was an early achiever, or, uh, or or early failure. I think is the better is the better word for that. Yes, I, all of 13 years old, I founded this clattering ensemble that is still officially around and still uh, produces fugitive recordings every now and then when I can uh, get my friends to agree to something, uh, something like that. And, and did you have an instrument of choice or you were just throwing uh, metal garbage cans down metal, the stairwells? Exactly. That's exactly okay. what it is. Exactly what it is. You've nailed it right on the head. I could <laughs> not describe it better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pretty great. So yeah. Albany Park, uh, I know uh, based on your bio, you um, uh, dropped out of high school. Did you go to Roosevelt? Yeah. Where did you go to high school? No, I went to Lincoln Park, actually. Oh, you um, did? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom went there when it was Waller, um, too. And I went, I was there, actually, oh, probably a few months into sophomore year, and then I dropped out. Um, I found that high school was getting in the way of my education, so, and yeah. And I'm guessing that was cool with your parents at the time? Yeah, I had to get a job, you know. Uh, my That's what my mom said, you know. All right, well. Then you're working, which was fine. So I worked in various restaurants and uh, sort of construction and, you know, that kind of low paid, uh, but 
pretty amusing work if you're if you're young. The older you get, the less amusing it well, becomes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, your your bio says you worked as a dishwasher, a house painter, a construction mm. worker, furniture yeah. movers, all jobs yeah. using your hands. Um, when you know, were you writing at the time as a kid? Uh, did you write yeah. in your off hours, or did that come later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, yeah, little bits of things. I did uh, sort of essays and. Uh, you know that that sort of stuff were published in in smaller magazines. A lot of them I just published myself. Mimeographed zines was sort of a big thing at that time. I think it probably still is. So I would send those out through the mail. Um, I don't have them anymore. They're long gone, which is good. The, um, they were basically uh, sort of lunatic parodies of things. And yeah. I have uh, friends who did uh, uh, zines back in the eighties um, as well. A lot of music zines, and yeah. and you know they they held out of them. And every once in a while, they'll put them on social media, which is always funny. Um, and I think they yeah. also use the word mimeograph, which you know mimeograph. Yeah, exactly. under under a certain age, just don't don't think to use the word uh, mimeograph. So let's get to your yeah. book uh, again. It's called Mother Chicago: True Dreams and Specters Over the Gilded Age. This book, after having read as many countless dozens of history books, which are usually kind of formatted the same way, yours caught me off guard, uh, to be honest, because it is written with such an imaginative flourish, if I may, that I thought, oh, well, this is a whole new way of looking at the history of these places. Some of them that I was familiar with, uh, many aspects of them, you know, I, I didn't know uh, as much about. The book discusses, among other things, the uh, Chicago Parental School, the Chicago Municipal Tuberculosis Sanitarium, that's easy to throw out, um, and the uh, mental health hospital out near Irving and uh, not quite Harlem, uh, known uh, to many as Dunning. What drew you to this, these very dark parts of Chicago's history? Initially, physically, because we broke into the um, the parental school, which is the most obscure out of out of the three. Um, every now and then, I still meet somebody that spent a small amount of time there. Uh, it was a sort of Audi home, but for the most part, people were only there for ooh, three to six months, things like that. It stood on just off Foster Avenue on what is uh, land owned by Northeastern now, a very Gothic building. Um, huge uh, four or five huge very heavy looking looking structures that were in decay at that time uh red curtains hanging out of them it really looked like the scene the set of a horror film like a hammer or a roger corman horror film or something like that um so we would walk by it every day and i became obsessed with it like kids at that age do it's about 11 i think the first time so years later um, we finally broke in. The first time I broke in, I got caught and busted by the campus cops. But uh, years later, we did manage to get in. We walked around it, which to me was an extraordinary experience. The tuberculosis uh, sanitarium is right near there, not even a mile away. And I had walked by that before. There was only uh, the buildings have been converted to, I think, senior citizens' homes. But there were these sort of ruined shacks. I think all of those are gone that were sort of on the periphery with various beds. I suppose I've always been drawn to places like that. A lot of us urban kids, I think, are. There's a romance in it. I, yeah, I use a better I, word. I, well, and I, I think that that urge to explore, um, you know, uh, certainly is is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. You actually have a line toward the end of your book that I think is a, is a great lead-in 
um, uh, to the story. So I'm actually going to jump ahead and then jump back. Not very linear at all. From 1890 to 1920, Chicago was littered with orphanages and industrial schools. The institutional pipeline began in the autumn of the Gilded Age with its unformed ideas of middle places and its snake oil sciences of moral correction. I, I mean, that nails the book on the head, right? It's mm-hmm. so many stories, so many people who got involved in these places, and some of them may have had good intentions, but just went mm-hmm. about things in such a horrible way. And so it was it was almost tough to read the people that you could see. You mentioned this guy, Thomas Sachs, who... Yes, you know, I think had really good intentions. Absolutely, yeah. Making something good happen, and spoiler, he was kind of shown the door and and had uh, a horrible reaction uh, to that that parting. Yeah, by um, the machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They had used they had used his institution as a a way to milk hires out of the out of the state, and it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, a fair amount of, um, again, shocking being in Chicago, the uh, (laughs) amount of of cronyism that happened, you know, all the way back then. Um, The Chicago Parental School, which you mentioned, um, opened in 1902, by 1906 was being investigated for corruption. So not even Mm -hmm. four years later. Yeah. The the superintendent, uh, McQuarrie. You wrote, had a blasé attitude toward the scarlet fever outbreak. You got to love people who don't take outbreaks seriously. <laughs> exactly. Not, not that anything recently has happened. This, uh, <laughs> um, but this guy had also taken 31 tons of coal meant for the facility and uh, had it brought to his own private home. So, yeah, the, the cheapness of that echoes any any number of, of local politicians that obviously never pass up a chance to make even the smallest amount of money. It's uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned um, obviously this wasn't strictly a Chicago thing. You mentioned um, in 1879, the Carlisle Indian Industrial School in Pennsylvania, where that White is the believed, most brutal. Yeah. yeah. Believed Native American children could not be civilized while wearing moccasins and blankets. Their hair needed to be cut a certain yeah. uh, level. It's, um, it's the uniform is, is curious, right? Because everybody has to look exactly the same. And long hair then as now was seen on Indians as, as a form of uh, degeneracy, as if they were devolving back after being shown the marvelous fruits of civilization that, you know, uh, <laughs> the Indian removal and genocide. Yeah. Know. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, certainly the idea that, that, uh, you know, the, the white man of the time thought, well, our way is the best and you're going to have to adapt to it. And that's, that's how it's got to be. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Assimilate, assimilate or die. Yeah. 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 And, and unfortunately uh, many times um, they did. Um, you yeah, also talk about, um, uh, if I understood it correctly, cows, at the Chicago Parental School, which had become infected with tuberculosis, but still yeah. weren't being shuffled off. So, uh, yeah. you know, if you want to talk a little bit about that, that was another one of those things where I was like, "Oh boy." <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. The infected cows uh, apparently ended up, uh, I think, at Armor, if I remember right, in, in the book, which was at that time the stockyards were being investigated um, for fraudulent and also seriously unhealthy uh, conditions and those cows were sort of traced and then traced back to the parental school 
where um, they were finally executed. There's a very bizarre newspaper passage that, that, that describes their, their, their execution. Um, <laughs> it was part of, it was one of the, the many, as you said before, constant investigations into what was going on at the parental school, where its funds went, and uh, less so, but occasionally its brutal practices. The, um, you know, the, the brutal practices, uh, it, it's ongoing throughout the, the book, and it's unfortunate that um, a lot of the brutal practices obviously involved kids. You know, the parental school was made to um, help with kids in truancy or kids who uh, maybe were orphans and, and needed mm-hmm. somewhere to go or just needed corrective action. But the corrective action were uh, the corrective actions were uh, maybe a little extreme. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk, uh, uh, you mentioned, um, oh gosh, you had a great line I wrote down here, um, deaths that were covered up then uncovered. So there were a handful of deaths that were quickly kind of, you know, swept under the rug. And then of course, a little while later would come out like, well, you know, he, he might've been beaten. He didn't, you know, he didn't fall from a tree and land on mm-hmm. his head. He was beaten. I forget the name of the kid, James Wright. I right. Think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Orville Vardaman was another one. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. James Wright, I think hung himself in Orville. Mm-hmm. Barton. And, and, you know, all these horrible things that of course now wouldn't pass, but yet somehow then swept under the rug, you know, and it, it went from uh, person to person. Um, you know, that should have been in charge and should have been taking care of these things that, yeah, they, they, they tend to, the, uh, the, the forces that be tend to, uh, oscillate somewhere between covering up and actual participation. The, uh, the covering up happens when some embarrassing situation occurs and it actually goes to court, which it did in those cases. So, uh, and then starts a very long process of covering up, but the, birth of the institution in a kind of cadet military style necessitates those uh, those murders, actually. And I think that they are not so much uh, aberrations as the logical end of schooling and discipline systems like that, uh, orphanages, and especially, say, the, the Indian schools, things like mm-hmm. that. The, 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 the crime is the point. Well, the, um, the, the number of places you at one, uh, on one page have a list of all the different orphanages and, um, you know, uh, uh, places that were designed to help kids and families back then. Um, and, and it was kind of amazing. One of the things that drew me to this book, um, my, uh, my dad was adopted. Uh, actually, both my parents were adopted, and I asked him at one point, so do you know anything about your birth family? And he said, no, mm-hmm. he was adopted at uh, under the age of two from the home for unwanted children. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, it couldn't have been called that. And he said, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. And I said, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's what they referred to it, but I can't imagine there was a place called that. And yet, you know, you've got places, uh, you know, one of the places is um, – uh, was referred to as school for the feeble minded. Yeah, exactly. That's even worse than unwanted children. If you can, if, if one, if there can be such a thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, yeah. a couple of episodes ago, I, I talked about um, a guy who uh, was a convicted murderer who had spent time at the home. He called it the home for the friendless boys. And, mm-hmm. and it turns out it had a bunch of different names. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you hear home for friendless. Yeah. You know, home for unwanted, friendless, like, oh, there's a a very strange honesty in 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 those um, uh, almost gothic sounding titles for institutions. They do sound like there's something out of Charles Dickens or something like that. They could they could really use a a marketing uh, person to maybe kind of rework. Soften that. And I suppose I suppose (laughs) right. Soften. I suppose that's what we get today. We get more uh, softened titles. Well, and and maybe to your point, you know, there is such an honesty about calling him, you know, home for yeah. friendly, home for unwanted, home for feeble minded. Like, yeah. boy, there's no doubt as to what we're talking about there. But yeah, that just screams eugenics, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it, it really yeah. does. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to give away uh, too much of, of the uh, the book. I, I found it fascinating in, in so many ways. And you know, I can tell it's a good book when I kept having to stop and jam a bookmark in your book and then go to the internet and look up something because you brought up so many things that even me, a big history nerd, thought, well, I don't I don't know enough about this and, and I need to know more right now and I need to have it drilled down, you know, quickly. Thank you. Um, thank you. That's yeah, more you, than uh, kind. Yeah. You know, another uh, another great line. Uh, I don't want to give away all your good lines, but um uh, one was uh, in talking about um, uh, the problems with tuberculosis. Germs move like vagabonds looking for their promised kingdoms, questing in crowded tenements and drawing magical spells from unclean water. Again, I, I read a lot of history books and and none of them have such a great oh, turn of phrase uh, like this here. Thank um, you. Well, you also, um, uh, you know, you don't talk just about the places, but also the events of the time, including the Red Summer of 1919. Uh, There were so many great things about it. I've got pages and pages of of notes that I scribbled. And, you know, there were times that I didn't have enough light. I'd have to run over and get a light so I could uh, scribble it out there. How much time did you spend researching, putting this together from the first moment you put pen to paper until when we got the the, uh, copy of the book published? I would say so well, about maybe about three years. It could have been closer to four. Um, I was helped very much by uh, Christina Ward of Feral House, who sort of said, OK, well, we have a book here and you better get on writing it. I'm, I'm a very lazy person, so I, I need help in, in many ways. I, I need a lot of help. So, um, yes, I'd say about about three and a half years, maybe four years, something like that. I mean, not nonstop, but for the most part, you know. And and Christina, by the way, who I have to thank uh, for for putting us together uh, from Feral House, your publisher, um, uh, very persistent. She wanted to make sure that we had a chance to talk, and I'm glad our schedules finally aligned. Um, did she have an idea for a book about Chicago and put it in your hands, or did she say, "Hey, I want a, I want a book from you"? Yeah. Um, what she, are you What are you thinking? Exactly. She sort of talked me through it. She said, "I, I, I you know, she had read I had written." Um, book reviews for counterpunch online uh, sort of art books, things like that. And that, that is how I, I got in touch with her. So she said, well, I think you should write a book. And we talked about various subjects and then I figured that it should probably be something close to my heart, which is, you know, Chicago. Um, and she's, she's a, she's a brilliant, brilliant writer and, and author, uh, publisher herself. So she, she was able to, 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 you know, completely uh, walk me through it, push me through it. And, you know, we talked about it the entire 
process. She was extremely, extremely generous. You know, during the past uh, bit of crazy over the past, you know, 18 months, mm-hmm. 20 months, um, did you find some amount of solace in working on this or? Yeah. Um, it, um, <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 no, no, it's a good question. Actually, it didn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not the pandemic. I mean, there's terrible things going on around you and all that sort of stuff. But oh, yeah, the, the sort of the, the opioid feel of going over those things in the past. Yeah, yeah I suppose, just, I you know, did it let you get get out of your head for a little while? Yeah, you know, during the quarantine to to yeah. have this to focus on. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I know that when I'm working on kind of darker subject matter, it can kind of stay with me after i've i've walked away from it did you feel the same about this um not more so than 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 any anyone else would or maybe not more so than somebody reading it or just thinking about it i suppose maybe those subjects are kind of on my mind anyway or maybe they're on all of our minds so uh yeah again i would say not particularly no Hmm. i i can never remember my dreams so maybe that's I, I don't have that faculty, so maybe there's a bunch of it going on in there that's stayed beneath the eyelids. So it's, yeah, rattling around. Yeah, um, again, I'd like to thank uh, Christina Ward, um, the book's publisher, Feral House, for uh, putting us together and getting me an advanced copy. Uh, the book is called Mother Chicago Truant Dreams and Specters Over the Gilded Age. My guest today, Martin Billheimer, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Oh, thank you for hanging out with me. It's been great. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my interview with Martin Bilheimer, author of Mother Chicago, Truant Dreams, and Specters Over the Gilded Age. Special thanks not only to Martin for sharing his time, but also to Christina Ward and the Feral House Publishing Team. I have a link in the show's notes if you'd like to purchase this book, as well as other items related to this podcast subjects. Anything ordered through those links, not just the items listed, may earn a small commission for the podcast and help offset production costs at no additional cost to you. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. Check out the Chicago History Podcast Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on the social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. I will be back soon with more stories from Chicago's history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.